Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I am your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. And today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Mr. Blake Murphy, our Raptors beat writer for The Athletic. Blake, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good, man. Uh, you know, a little sad to say goodbye to uh, all the Toronto centers headed to L.A., but uh, it's uh, it's a part of it, you know? Otherwise, I'm great. It's become a bit of a problem for Toronto. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I think the the, the saltiness, the, the the bitterness, it was like, okay, Kawhi, it's one thing. He's from LA. Um, you know, he, he helped bring a championship. Uh, but but now Serge, now Marcus Gasol, like, What's the state of Raptors fans right now with, with their hatred towards L.A.? Yeah, I don't know if hatred's the right word. Um, you know, Raptors fans, I think, are still there's still a, a good amount of that post championship glow to, to ease the pain a little bit. Um, but yeah, you know, this is Kawhi Leonard and Serge Ibaka to the Clippers now and Danny Green and Marcus Hall to the Lakers now. And on one hand, that's a that's a nice little nod that, hey, everyone's strategy to get them over the hump is to take the guys who helped the Raptors win the championship. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's tough. You know, the, the this two year window between the championship and uh, 2021, if Kawhi left, it always projected as kind of a transition period for the Raptors and you know that's that's a little tough and the Raptors overperformed a little bit last year such that it didn't make sense to deal a Bach or Gasol for assets and now they've just walked and um, you know there's the Raptors fan base is dealing with a little bit of uh, I guess legacy cost of the championship in that you know it's a little awkward to transition to the to the next period but they're okay you know what's really going to sting now though is uh the last remaining free agent from that championship team, uh, Malcolm Miller, there's got to be a bidding war between the LA teams for, <laughs> for Malcolm as a 15th man. So we're, we're here to talk about Serge Ibaka uh, and his fit with the Clippers. But before we get into that, I'm curious, you, you know, you got me thinking with, with some of what you just said. Um, Kyle Lowry, hmm. <laughs> can, can, can uh, one of the LA teams, specifically the Clippers, uh, like what, what's the situation in terms of Toronto with like, you know, obviously losing Serge and, and Mark, I think they rebounded well with, with Aaron Baines and Alex Ladd. Like, obviously, I, I think those two bigs are worse collectively than, than Serge and, and Mark, but they're respectable. Um, you know, I, I think Toronto, especially if guys like Pascal Siakam, you know, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, like Norm Powell, like those guys continue to show the growth and development they've shown over the last several years, you know, getting better each season. Um, there's, you know, they could be in that top two, top three mix once again, but what, what's kind of the state do you think of, of the franchise in terms of like, are they still trying to contend win a championship this season? Are they just like, let's just see what, what happens with this roster. And then maybe we make a decision by the trade deadline or is there a chance that, um, yeah, I, I don't think the Clippers really have the assets to get a Kyle Lowry, but maybe he could be moved to another team, um, you know, at some point before the trade deadline. Like, how, how do you kind of view that breakdown? Uh, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah, it's it's tough because, you know, the, the truth was once they brought Fred Van Vliet back, you know, the team's too good to really bottom out. Like, even if they were mm -hmm. like, we want a top 20, 21 pick, we want that 14% chance at Cade Cunningham, you know, we're going to take a big step back. I don't know that with... Van Vliet, Siakam, OG, and a couple of the other pieces, 
with how bad the bottom of the East is. I don't know if they that they could have got bad enough quickly enough. So, um, and then when you're at that point, you know, maybe it makes sense to kind of do this run it back part two. You know, they they're an organization that under Masai Jiri has put a premium on winning, um, not just because like it's nice to win, but also they think it makes them more attractive to potential free agent or trade targets. They think it helps with player development because guys get this high leverage experience uh, to kind of build and they get to play more basketball. Uh, So I don't think the Raptors would walk away from, you know, another season like last year where they they're a second round team and they they go to seven with another team and are a bounce or two away from the conference finals. Um, you know, I don't think they stack up right this second quite as well as uh, Milwaukee, Philly. You know, you could put Boston and Miami kind of in the same tier with Toronto. I think maybe Boston a, a shade ahead if you project some some Tatum and Brown growth. But um, yeah, I mean, I think they're probably in the, the trade deadline version of, of what you said, where realistically finding a, a home for Kyle Lowry on 30 on a 31 million dollar deal uh even if the market for him was good like making the salary math work without eating 2021 space is probably going to be pretty tough uh so I'd be surprised he also means a, a ton to the franchise mm-hmm. so I, I'd be surprised if he gets dealt but I could see like a, a Norman Powell or one of the centers that they signed um being available at the deadline if things aren't going great in Toronto and then you have the the Giannis situation looming over. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the entire Everything, league, every but, move yeah. the Raptors made suggested that 2021 is a priority. Like even Fred Van Vliet's deal, which is obviously significant and eats a chunk of that cap space, they structured it such that it has the smallest cap hit in 2021. So um, everything that, and, and you know Baines, uh, Baines, Len, Bembry, and Boucher are, or sorry, not Len, but just Baines, Bembry, and Boucher all have one-year deals with non-guaranteed second years. So uh, everything they've done has signaled that they w- they have something planned for 2021. So n- now we can start getting yeah. into the, the Serge Ibaka stuff. Now that we've lost um, all your Clippers audience. <laughs> we, we might have some Raptors fans listening. Um, I, I, like that, that's the only fan base um, I feel like I get in the comments, like other than Clipper fans. Uh, on the athletic, like, you know, uh, and sometimes they're trolling, but, but sometimes they're just genuinely like, Hey, I'm a Raptors fan, but I enjoy this article. My like, readers I, trolling, I trolling you. That's, they certainly <laughs> didn't learn that from me. <laughs> um, so Serge Ibaka, um, to me, I, I did a, a free agent board with guys I felt would be available at the mid-level, uh, you know, the, the non-taxpayer mid-level starting at 9.3 million. Um, and I, even in my analysis, I, I said Serge probably can and should get more, but I, I thought that this would be like his floor of like, if he really wants to, you know, change of scenery, go, you know, go to LA, go to a different team, you know, play on, on maybe a better team, like this would be kind of the floor of that deal for him. And so I had him number one on, on my free agent board. I had him, obviously, if he was number one, he, he was the number one center, um, so for me, like the Clippers landing him, I don't see a, a better free agent, uh, at least better free agent fit uh, that sign for the mid-level anywhere. Um, so for me, like the, the Clippers in, in that sense, like I don't want to say they didn't win the offseason, but I, I thought for what they needed, they got they secured that and it got better. Now, I do think the Jamichael Green loss is going to hurt them. Uh, I think Surge is an upgrade over Trez, but losing both Trez and Jamichael hurts and, and you know, they have not replaced the Jamichael part uh, of the, the the big man rotation yet. So I'm interested to see what they do. But um, 
can, you know, explain to Clipper fans where Serge's game is at right now, because I think a lot of people associate him with Oklahoma City and, and being that, you know, three blocks a game guy. And uh, and then even a little bit of like the championship year um, when he was an integral piece. But um, I know he has dropped off a little bit since then um, and, and has been declining the past couple of years overall. But where is Serge Ibaka in, in late 2020? You know, what type of player is he and, and how is he going to fit with this Clippers team? Yeah, I think the fit is the most important thing. I think I think he's a great fit. Um, you know, one of the first things I said to you and something I, I didn't write a ton about Ibaka leaving, but something I wrote about briefly is just, you know, Ibaka has become such a like beloved teammate and everyone just likes being around him. And, and I don't I try not to get too bogged down in that kind of stuff because it's hard to quantify. And it's, you know, chemistry tends to be the, that thing that you notice it when it's not there rather than when it is there. Um, but for a team that went through what the Clippers went through last year and for you know, a guy like Kawhi who has a great relationship with Ibaka. I think uh, I think that element can't be understated as well. Um, bringing a good locker room and culture guy in, and a guy who's you know gone through the process of sacrificing a starting role and sacrificing minutes uh, for a championship team. I, I think that's important. Now, you know, on the court, like you said, he's not three block a game Ibaka anymore. He's almost actually like the inverse of that player where. Most of his value now comes on the offensive end, I think. I wouldn't say he's a bad defender, uh, but the rim protection stuff has gone down. Um, you know, he's certainly not switching across three or four positions anymore. You could probably get away with him guarding some power forwards, and the Raptors would occasionally use him on, um, you know, an Anthony Davis or, or a Giannis when those matchups necessitated. Uh, Abaka and Gasol played together at times for, for short minutes here and there. Um, most notably in the Philly series in 2019, but also a little bit during the regular season. Um, so there's a bit of versatility left there, but he's not quite the rim protector or the um, perimeter defender that he was in, you know, obviously when he was winning defense player of the years. Um, now, what I would say is he is such a dramatically improved offensive player uh, since then. And one thing that, that one part of that, that maybe doesn't get, uh, enough appreciation is that he's really improved as a playmaker to where when um, the Raptors tried to retool their offense in 2018, Abaka was kind of the guy who was uh, a little bit behind on things. Like even Jonas Valanciunas was picking up some of the dribble handoff stuff, some of the, the passing reads a little quicker. Uh, and then the Raptors leaned into that even more when Nick Nurse took over as head coach. And last year, those things started to click for Abaka and his assist rate went up to, I think, 9%, which is a career high. And that's not a dramatic number, but even just being able to make a couple reads out of the short roll with the way teams are going to defend Kawhi, uh, especially when Paul George isn't on the floor, that's really, really valuable. Um, the biggest thing Abaka brings offensively is that I don't know that there's a better mid-range shooting big in basketball at this point. And I know that, you know, people get hung up a little bit on, on where the value of the mid-range comes. And I think obviously a guy like Kawhi thrives on the mid-range because he carries such usage and that's what the defense presents. Um, but I think there's there's value too in a big man who can hit a short roll elbow jumper or a low pick and pop jumper. And that doesn't always have to be 
beyond the three-point line. Ibaka is a, a capable pick-and-pop three-point shooter. Um, he shot 41% on above-the-break threes last year. But the real big thing he does is, you know, his entire career, he's been a plus mid-range shooter, but he's really done that on elite volume since he got to Toronto. Um, you know, more than 45, uh, shooting 45% or higher uh, on mid-range shots in all three years he was in Toronto. Um, the last two years taking almost a hundredth percentile rate of mid-range shots. So th- that's the big thing when you you draw out what a what a Clippers offense could look like when Kawhi shares the floor with Ibaka. And we know teams will load up to get the ball out of Kawhi's hands. And Ibaka is a nice complement to that as a guy who can you know, either take one dribble and, and put something up from floater range, can make a short stop at the elbow to to put up a jumper, or can kick it out to the corner shooter with a little bit more regularity now. So uh, I see a great offensive fit. You know, you and I talked defensively. He's not, he's better than Harold, but he's not uh, where he was before by, by any means. And that's, you know, that might limit some of his utility uh, next to Zubats or in closing lineups. But I, I think offensively trying to replace what Harold uh, gave them either as a second unit guy or as a part-time starter, you know, he's a, he's a pretty good fit. Sorry, that's a very long answer. <laughs> no, that, that's perfect. Um, I, I did so. I, I did a deep dive on synergy. You sure did. Of o- offensive and defensive possessions, regular season and, and postseason. And one thing that stood out to me with Serge was his basketball IQ. And he seems to me to be a guy who doesn't take much off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's a big thing for the Clippers because after Game Seven, one of the things Kawhi said, and, and Kawhi. You know, obviously doesn't say much, but he, he also rarely makes like demands. But <laughs> one of the things he had said um, you know, to the media was that he thinks the Clippers need to get smarter and, and need to increase their basketball IQ. And that, that can be taken a bunch of ways. But um, I do think, you know, going from Montrose Herald to Serge Ibaka is a upgrade in the IQ department. And again, just watching him on both ends, I felt like he rarely... You know, every player makes mistakes, so you're not going to say like, you know, okay, he throws a pass out of bounds or like he he blows a coverage and has to foul a guy. Like, yes, you know, that stuff happens, but that stuff happens with stars. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to hold that against him. But I, I just felt overall, um, you know, it looked like he, he takes a lot of sound shots. You know, it's, it's a lot of open shots. Um, you know, he, he can pump fake and, and drive. Um, again, he's not the quickest guy like, like he used to be, but, um, you know, still capable of doing that. And then and defensively, like, he isn't that above the rim crazy shot blocker, but I feel like positionally he still takes the right angles. Um, he, he can still, you know, defend guys in the post. Um, I highlighted some some plays where I saw him switching onto like Karis Levert or, or Kemba Walker or Jalen Brown and like hanging with those guys on drives to the rim and and even blocking them at the rim a couple of times. So you know, again, he's he's not that defensive player of the year candidate. He, he's not a, a league leading shot blocker, but I do think defensively, um, it, it does seem like he, he can get blown by on the perimeter if he's getting dragged up too high. And he's probably more of a post defender, like, you know, just kind of rotating on the back line, like making smart plays there. But he's not going to, like you said, he's not like 2016 Draymond Green defending multiple positions and, and kind of being that guy who blows up every, you know, uh, offensive action. He's not that level anymore. But I do think like, Again, he, he just doesn't take much off of the table and he's going to 
he's he's solid in so many categories that um you know can you talk to his IQ and and just sort of the type of guy he is from from that perspective of making the little plays um you know not a guy who's going to be selfish on either end and, and just kind of usually in the right spot more often than not looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24/7 US based live customer service from Discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, it's funny that that stood out to you going back over the tape. And it came up a couple times in the playoffs where when I went back and did rewatches of games, you know, you pick up some things like that. And I think I think uh, Abaka was at times maybe maybe didn't get all the credit he deserved in that regard because his minutes are always contrasted the last two years against Marc Gasol's. And Marc Gasol might be the smartest player in the NBA. Uh, so you see Gasol do all these brain genius things on, on offense and defense and be the team's kind of vocal quarterback on defense. And then Abaka comes in and, and you know, the on-off metrics certainly favor Gasol. The advanced metrics favor Gasol. And then, you know, you watch Abaka pretty closely and it's like, okay, well, it's not, you know, it's not like he's making a bunch of gaffes and that's why the, the defensive numbers are, are better with Gasol. It's, you know, it's some lineup stuff there. It's some um, quality of teammate stuff. It, it's some, uh, Gasol is obviously also a former defensive player of the year. So, um, you know, it, it's uh, it maybe got unfairly contrasted at times. And, and I, I don't think the gap between them by the end of last season was as strong as like the seven point difference in net rating would suggest. Um, in terms of IQ, I, I would say the two areas you're looking for with Ibaka, um One, I would say that up until this past year, um, I don't know that he had accepted that he was less of a shot blocker. And this year, I I think I saw some growth in kind of fewer times where he sold out for a block. And then he was then out of position for a defensive rebound or um, to, you know, to make the next rotation or whatever. I I think there was a better sense of um, how he should protect the rim and, and how he can protect the rim. And then offensively, you know, he can get a little trigger happy, but you also like that's his role or that was his role with the Raptors was to soak up offensive possessions in the second unit. So, um, yeah, sometimes the ball stopped when Ibaka got going, but they also really needed him to do that at times. So uh, I don't know if you you kind of ding him for that. So, I mean, yeah, it, this takes us back to kind of where we started, which is Ibaka's not OKC Ibaka, but this is the most well-rounded he's been offensively. Um, it makes sense that as his career has gone on, he's gotten smarter on both ends of the floor. And the reality is that he's, you know, a 31-year-old center and you're going to take some things, you know, some things are going to decline when you're a 31-year-old center. And, and he's seen that a little bit more on the defensive end than the offensive end. Um, but again, I wouldn't go as far as to call him a bad defender or anything like that. It just, you know, he's not... I, I just hope that Clippers fans understand where he's at now which is you know more of his value comes on the offensive end than on the defensive end would you start him or or bring him off the bench i know i I do view it i think they're you know the two parties are coming from similar dynamics where last season zubat started and and montrez was the the closing center but also you know the kind of the the go-to guy on the second unit offensively uh, along with lou williams 
And then obviously Ibaka was coming off the bench last season with Marcus Sol in the starting unit. Um, so my personal opinion is I think it should be Zubat starting, Ibaka coming off the bench, and then probably closing games. But how do you view that dynamic? You know, do you think he might want to start? Would it maybe make more sense to start? Because you know, comparing him to Zubats, I think Zubats, you know, the metrics paint Zubats as a better player. I would probably lean Zubats, especially with the growth he showed in the bubble. But Baca brings a stretch to the offense that Zubats doesn't provide. And I think would fit really well in lineups with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But maybe that's just an argument to close games with him versus starting games with him. And he can, you know, form some pick and pop chemistry with Lou Williams play 25, 26, 27 minutes a night off the bench uh, and then close games when appropriate. Yeah, I if I were coaching the Clippers, which I am not, I would probably have a Baca off the bench for a lot of what you just outlined. And it's not it's not that he's a bad fit with George and Kawhi by any means, but you look at what that second unit is going to look like and what, you know, obviously you're still invested in Lou Williams and you don't work your whole rotations around Lou Williams. But if you're going to play Lou Williams big minutes, you should put Lou Williams in positions to succeed. And I think a is a pretty good pick and roll partner for him. No, he's not the he's not the vertical threat that Harrell was, but he's a good offensive rebounder um, that, you know, the spacing he get, he offers with pick and pop. He's a good screen setter. Um, so I think there's there's a, some synergy there to be had. And then more to where Ibaka's strengths lie, I just I wonder a little bit if some of his offensive strength gets left on the table if he's sharing the bulk of his minutes with Leonard and George, where you know there aren't going to be as many you know like like Montrezl Harrell had a, a tasty usage rate last year, and I don't know that Ibaka gets you know his same usage rate if if he's starting alongside Leonard and George versus soaking up kind of Harrell's spot um, now. I wouldn't be having said that I wouldn't be surprised if part of the discussion here was, um, you know, in luring Ibaka maybe included starting. I don't know how Ty Lue operates it in that regard or, or you know, what input uh, a Kawhi may have had on that. I know Ibaka took some time to accept coming off the bench in Toronto and, and obviously um, he was everything the Raptors needed him to be in, in terms of character and accepting that role and stuff. Um, but he also, you know, I'm sure he thinks he's a starting caliber center. So I wonder if that come up, came up in conversations. Um, but I think that, you know, obviously the closing lineups are very important. I, I think, I think you would agree that sometimes we get bogged down a little bit with starter too much. And what's more important is minutes share and putting guys in positions to succeed. And I think, you know, Zubat starting, Ibaka coming off the bench, and then you play the matchups or you play the game in terms of uh, who's going to close makes the most sense. And, you know, Serge settled in nicely with the minutes that he played last year. And I don't know that at 31, you want to spike his minutes up to 30 minutes a game anyway. So I think however it shakes out, Zubats is going to get a chance to expand his role too, which is which is great because I'm excited to see more from him. And, and I think him and, him and Serge are are going to be a really nice one too. however Lou lines it up. I, I agree. Um, I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think it, it's just going to be uh, like pretty similar to last season. I think Zubats is going to play more. Um, I, I do think you might see a little bit more of a Baca and Zubats in like a four or five um, split. And I know you and I had talked about this, you know, right, right when the move happened, I called you, wanted to get your read on, on the situation. Um, I know Abaka is more of a five, but I think when you look at um, some of the, the the teams that the Clippers are going to have to be facing, if they are facing 
a Lakers team uh, that is going with a Gasol AD or or Trez AD, like I think Ibaka could match up with either one of those guys. And, and I think Zoo, you probably want to put him on Trez, but like Zoo has defended AD. Um, Zoo has defended Marcus Gasol. So like I think with the Lakers, it would make some sense. And, and then looking at like the Nuggets where you're, you're going to have Jokic, um, either Paul Millsap or Jermichael Green at the four. Like I think Ibaka could defend either one of those guys or um, you know, Zubats, you probably don't want him going out to, to stretch to, to like a stretch four, but neither one of those guys are particularly quick where I would be concerned with Serge Ibaka checking them. So I actually think that this move, um, while he will be primarily a five and, and I expect, you know, 80, 85% of his minutes to, to be there. I do think there are going to be some matchups, particularly the top West teams where those teams go a little bit bigger. They go with two bigs, not necessarily the quickest bigs, and that's where Ibaka Zubots would maybe make some sense. Um, or, or, you know, you, you could just downsize and go Ibaka Morris or whatever. But um, last question, and this one to me is arguably the most important. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about Kawhi Leonard and, and Serge Ibaka. We, we know about, <laughs> uh, you know, what it do, baby. And and, and that whole, um, you know, whatever they were doing in the backseat of, of, of that car. <laughs> we know what they were doing. <laughs> Um, but the question is it, how is how tightly can you do it with hands that size? That's <laughs> that's the unsolved question of, of that video clip. Because I'm skeptical uh, <laughs> that that was well done. Let's say. So, but w- we've seen you know Kawhi is everyone jokes he's a robot, he's the Terminator, and and we we know about his personality and and how he's not really media friendly and, and all this stuff. Uh, but. Serge has gotten him to come out of his shell publicly. He, he's gotten him to to go on his Snapchat, rolling something, uh, and and kind of be at ease. He, he's got him on his cooking, you know, YouTube cooking show, um, talking about you know penis, pe- you know, bull penis pizza. Like he he's got him out of his shell publicly, which no one has really been able to do. Uh, you know, outside of like those uh, you know meat commercials in San Antonio, <laughs> like and like the occasional commercial, like. Which isn't, you know, that's more of a paid sponsorship, you know, partnership branding thing. Um, but I haven't, you know, from my recollection, I haven't seen a teammate really kind of get Kawhi to open up and joke around publicly. So um, what is the dynamic there with those two? And, and um, you touched on it earlier with, with saying like, you know, Serge is a good culture guy and he has a relationship with Kawhi. So that could be a positive in the locker room. But like, what was their dynamic like in Toronto? And um, you know, do you think Kawhi maybe played a part in, in bringing Serge here? And I'm sure he obviously signed off on it and, and kind of just what Clipper fans can expect from that friendship and actually Kawhi having a friend on the team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't expect this to be something that's hitting your social every day. Like, like even in the locker room, it was usually pretty subdued, right? Like Serge might yell some stuff and Kawhi would just like no sell it, like not react to it. Um, you know, the only person who really, spent time at Kawhi's locker talked to him a lot was Jeremy Castleberry um Mm -hmm. so you I don't think you're gonna see like like a ton of that and and video bombing and stuff like that but I do think that um they they built a good relationship and and I think part of that was and this is gonna seem like a small thing but they're both both of them lift after games sometimes like once they're already warmed up they would just go upstairs at Scotiabank Arena and get a lift in and I just wonder if like that kind of similarity of how they take care of their bodies and the preparation kind of built the foundation for that bond. And then Serge is just like, like Serge, how do I phrase it? Serge is very well liked and Serge is very funny, but I absolutely think when you first 
like if you are a friend of Surge, he probably grates you a little bit at first because like he's a little over the top and high energy. Um, and I could just like like with how dry Kawhi is, they're such a just natural um, like odd couple kind of comedy pairing. So I, I don't know how that broke down, but but you know I'd assume over those post game lifts, Surge would just be talking nonstop, and eventually he broke Kawhi, and Kawhi laughed, and then you know then it was the floodgates at that point. Once Surge knew that he could get Kawhi to laugh, um, that's how I imagine it, it playing out. Um, realistically, I think this is more of like a quiet thing where you know Kawhi's now got another guy in there who he's gone through that with, and he knows will set the type of example that Kawhi believes in for, for his teammates and a guy who, like I said, has sacrificed for a championship before in terms of role and responsibility and stuff. So um, I'm sure it's great that, that they had a good relationship and and it certainly doesn't hurt. Um, But yeah, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't expect, you know, this to be the new like Bobby and Toby podcast co-host or anything (laughs) like that. Uh, I'm sure Clipper fans would would love that, but yeah, no, Uh, I mean, I just think, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say back back to your earlier point. I, I just I, because I had the note handy. Um, Surgeon Mark played about 210 minutes together over the last two years, including playoff time. And the defense was always pretty solid in those minutes. They zoned up a little bit uh, at times in those, but it, it can uh, it hung in there with with Ibaka and Gasol. So if uh, if that's something you're looking for, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't run at huge minutes, but you can probably get away with it here and there. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, 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 we're, we're in agreement. Like, I, I don't think it's going to be something you're seeing like 15 minutes a night. But I, I do think in certain matchups, uh, again, where, um, you know, if it's the late, like I, I'm looking specifically at the Lakers and the Nuggets, where, mm-hmm. where those two teams go a little bit more plotting in the four or five. I mean, AD is not a plotter, but like you're going to want some size on AD. So you're going to want Abaka or Zubats. And then if the other guy is Gasol or Trez, I think you could get away with playing the other one on that guy. And then mm-hmm. again, Jokic, you know, you're going to put Abaka or Zubats on him. And then if, if it's Millsap or Green, I don't think you're really worried about their off the dribble threat that right. much. So, um, yeah, I, I think th- there are some matchups you could get away with it. I don't think it's going to happen a lot. I, I wouldn't count on it. But um, Blake, thank you so much for your, your time, your insight. Um, where can people find you on social media and where can they read your work? Yeah, they can find me at Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter. Um, check me out there. And I'm one of our Raptors guys. So, um, you know, if you if you read Yovan's stuff, you already have an athletic subscription. So just click on over to the to the Raptors page um, and check us out there. I mean, there's been been some fun stuff uh, on the Raptors side. But if you're just a Clippers fan, uh, my colleague Eric Crean did a, a pretty tremendous feature uh, early in the league hiatus on Serge Ibaka's growth from like this quiet, unassuming guy to like one of the best teammates in the league. So uh, if you enjoyed that part of this discussion and want to read more, I, I'd, I'd search, I forget what it's called, but just Google Eric Kareen Serge Ibaka and uh, you'll, you'll figure it out or Jovan can tweet it out or whatever. Um, Cause that's probably the best window into Serge's personality fit uh, coming to the Clippers. And I, I definitely have to say quickly, like I, I think our Raptors coverage is among the best of not only our you know basketball coverage, but just any team coverage uh, on the athletic. Um, so I have to say you and Eric do a great job, very in-depth, very detail-oriented, touch on basically 
every nugget and, and you know kind of crevice of you know Raptors world. So um, even if you aren't a Raptors fan, I, I think it's worth checking out their coverage, reading it. Um, you'll definitely learn some things. So um, again, Blake, thank you so much for coming on. Um, as always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J O V A N B U H A. If you have not subscribed to the Athletic yet, I don't know what you're doing, but please subscribe off one of my stories. Get me those subs. <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I appreciate it. And got a lot of stuff coming up uh, today. I just wrote about the Clippers, uh, the state of the roster right now, uh, a week from training camp. It's kind of insane to, to think that. But um, so went over the guards, the wings, the bigs, kind of the, the back end of the roster, some of the moves I think they're going to make to round things out. Um, so check that out. Uh, wrote about Serge Ibaka, did a film breakdown on that. And we'll, we'll have some more stuff coming in the next week or so. So be on the lookout. Uh, as always, if you have any questions for me, just reach out on Twitter. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, talk to you soon.